Welcome to Inside Yorkshire with Susan, bringing you intriguing details about the lives of people here in Yorkshire. So, come on in and join us. Hello, this is Susan here, Inside Yorkshire, and today I'm talking to Ed Clues, who's an illustrator, artist and printmaker. Now, um, I'm in Ed's studio at present, which is at the top of a building. We have all sorts of activities going on below us, haven't we, Ed? Yes. So it might be a little bit noisy, but um, we're going to do the best we can, aren't we? Now, Ed is interested in, have I got this right, historical architecture? Is that your, would, would be that, that Exactly, you would say? yeah, historical architecture, um, but also uh, landscape and, and objects as well. And Anything that tells a story, really. Right. And recently you've had, earlier on this, well, in fact, the end of last year and beginning of this year, you've had um, an exhibition at Yorkshire Sculpture Park, which yes. was, I understand, for their 40, is it their 40th year? 40th year, exactly, 40th year. anniversary. Yeah, it was a huge task. Um, uh, there were about 70 new works on display. Uh, and the title of the exhibition was uh, Sheer Folly, Fanciful Buildings of Britain. Um and it really resonated with, I suppose, that concept really resonated with uh, the Yorkshire Sculpture Park, you know, as a contemporary space for art and sculpture, but also um, the fact that the landscape uh, had been a pleasure ground for Bretton Hall um, from the 18th century onwards. Um, so it was sort of slightly tapping into that history and enabled me to explore a few of the buildings that uh, stand or no longer stand on site. But it was a yeah, hugely challenging um, exhibition, really pushed me massively. And it was a, a solo exhibition, wasn't solo it? Solo exhibition, exactly. Is yeah. that your, was that your first solo exhibition? I've done solo shows before, but mm. nothing, nothing on that, on that kind scale. of scale. It was huge, yes. And it, it was, was phenomenal, it really was. It was amazing because I went down to look. Thank you. Well, it was, it was great to see uh, so much work on such a scale over such a kind of wide gallery space, really. Uh, there are very few opportunities in, well, there have been very few opportunities for me thus far to, to see sort of so much work, really. Uh, and it, I think as a result, it gave me a bit of a better grip on where I'm at with my artwork and where I've kind of come from, really. Mm. Now, you're, you are actually, um, you've been brought up in Yorkshire, although yes. I know you went to, well, personally, if I go back a bit further here, Ed, you yeah. went to... Richmond School, didn't you? Yeah. And you had an art teacher there, Chris yes. Chris Moss. Yes. Who, I just wondered, was that the, the beginning of your interest, or have you always been interested in art? Were, were you always drawing as a child? I know I've known you yeah. a long time, but I can't remember. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was always drawing. It was always I was always interested in um, yeah, the creative kind of side of things, music uh, and art, and was just always making, I suppose. Um, and and that went very deep, I guess. Um, and then you know went through secondary school, and then finally went to Richmond School for sixth form college, where I met Chris Mawson, who was my A level teacher. And uh, he was just uh, a completely, uh, I don't know, uh, kind of a bit of a Renaissance man. I mean, he was probably the same age as I am now, but younger. Um, but wore linen suits. You know, very, very sort of 1940s style linen suits and uh, drove, a, I think it was a Morris Minor. It was an old kind of vintage car anyway. And uh, 
he would take us on extraordinary kind of day trips to, you know, there was a garden at the end of, a famous garden at the end of the playing fields at Richmond School called um, uh, St. Nicholas Gardens, but it was part of St. Nicholas House. Uh, and uh, we would spend lots of, you know, double lessons on a Friday, drawing and, you know, chatting. And um, yeah, I think Chris really taught me how to look at things and it wasn't just necessarily the kind of structure of things or as you saw but it was the spirit of things and, and I suppose really brought in a certain romantic kind of vibe <laughs> mm. you know um, and also had a, a core interest in in 20th century British art and um, romantic artists uh, so so he was very formative and I'm lucky enough to still be able to call him a, a very close friend and in fact godparent to his daughter and you know, we're, we're very, very close. And you have currently an, a joint exhibition with him in York, haven't yes, you? Yes, we have a, a little show at the Lottie Inch Gallery on Bootham, um, and it runs until the beginning of next month. Um, and it's something we talked about for many, many years, uh, but it only really, I mean, obviously, uh, ideas are one thing, but being practical is another thing. <laughs> and Chris has been really busy. I mean, he's been restoring a house in, in Swaledale and uh, he recently uh, decided to leave teaching uh, to focus on his art. And um, yeah, it was it was the right time really to do a show together and also kind of uh, show visually our similarities and, you know, where we've come from, uh, you know, independently as artists as well as, as together. Mm. No, it's it's uh, it's really good that you've kept in touch over all this time yes, too. Yes, Such yes. a positive influence on you. Hugely, mm. yes, hugely. Now I understand that you went to um, which college was it? Winchester. Winchester School of Art. School of Art. Yes, yeah. That was after your A levels. Uh, no, I had a, a year uh, of foundation course at Queen Elizabeth College in Darlington, okay. uh, which was a foundation course, which is which is great. So anybody listening who is thinking about going into maybe uh, studying art at, at whatever age, um, but particularly if you're going from A-level. Um, foundation year is fantastic. It really gives you an opportunity to explore all sorts of different mediums, uh, processes, um, and it, it's it's a nice year where you can really play without the pressure. Mm. Um, so that's what I did, and then went to Winchester. But I had decided pretty much over that year that I was really interested in fine art and painting and drawing and printmaking. Um, which we did a certain amount of at Winchester, but it, it challenged me even more. I mean, I was I was at Winchester from uh, nineteen ninety nine to two thousand and two, and it was very much the period of uh, the young British artists, the YBAs, you know. And a couple of years before, I think it was in nineteen ninety six, was it ninety eight? I went to see the Sensations Sensations exhibition at the um, Royal Academy, and that went incredibly deep. Um, and I think when I got to Winchester, a kind of an interest in uh, contemporary art and maybe performance art and certainly time-based art. I produced uh, a lot of video installation work during that period. Some painting, but it was mainly conceptual video installation-based um, pieces. Um, interestingly, uh, focusing on architecture uh, and the function of kind of modernis modernistic ideas, you know, of the 20th century. So there was a there was definitely a relationship. It wasn't a you know a kind of a, a period when I was on a different track. It's very much part of where I am now, now, where I'm at now. You know, the qu the big question that I really want to ask is: Do you actually feel that you can be 
taught to be an artist or do you feel that it's something that's inherently in you right from the start? Because I think, I mean, you can explore a lot of things yeah. while you're, you're in those places, but I just wondered about the actual, that side of it, what, what you thought. I don't know. I can't speak for everybody. I think I can only speak from my own experience mm. and for me... Um, I think I'm the product of of lots of different experiences, and I think it's and, and teachers and people and ideas and influences and people introducing me to things and that's books, that's music, uh, places, countries, conversations, ways of thinking, ways of seeing. Um, that relies on other people input from in, other people. In, input from other yes. people. However, a lot you know there is a certain amount of self motivation, but when you strip all that away. I, I don't know. I mean, yes. I mean, the romantic question, the romantic answer to that question would be, yeah. You know, it's it's a kind of intuitive thing. But I think it's. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Mm. No, yeah. no, that's. Okay. I think I think it goes back so early for me. Right. You know, the the making and the and the drawing and whatever. I think it's just it's just kind of always been there, really, for having quite a long time. Having that creative side. But even that was down to having parents in a situation, you know, an environment where I was allowed to do that kind of thing and there was a value placed in it and praise and, you know, and parents that were aesthetically sensitive and, you know, so I don't know. But then mm. there are, looking back, you know, there's a lot of artists in the family or people who are visual, so who knows? So who knows? Some, <laughs> of, some of it, um, a combination of both, I would think. Who knows, yeah. Yes, Definitely. Now then, you've um, you published a book. I'm not sure when it went out. It's not that recent, is it? It was is it last published year? at the end of last year, so about a year last ago, year. almost exactly, mm. yeah, August last year. Yeah. Would you like to tell us? Yeah. About that. Yes, it's uh, the book is called The Lost House We Visited, and it's published by Merrill Books. Um, and the book really is the product of uh, many, many, many years' research and interest in the genre, which is the lost country house. Um, of which Britain is particularly rich because of its social history. Um, and the book looks at nine houses which date from the um, mid-16th century up until modern times. And each of the nine houses uh, that I selected really were the kind of zenith of their period, or the most ambitious, or have the most extraordinary story associated with it, them, um, I was lucky enough to work with um, some good friends, Tim Knox, who um, is now um, uh, director of the Royal Collection, and also uh, Olivia Horsfall Turner, who is uh, a curator at the VA. And we collaborated. Uh, I wrote a, an essay about my way into the subject, my interest, what feeds me, what I feel about the form of the lost country house. Um, Olivia. Um, very, uh, wrote some fantastic uh, text to go with each chapter, which involved a lot of research and actually bringing to light new evidence uh, and um, creating, I suppose, um, a, a bigger picture of some of the houses that are less known about. And that was very much a joint um, uh, period of research between uh, the two of us. And then Tim and his vast experience of lost houses, you know, he wrote a fantastic essay about the, the, the subject. Um, but it was a great opportunity for me to really indulge <laughs> in quite a you know a lot of geekery really, um, and I suppose it's the first response uh, from an artist and illustrator um, 
to the to the to the notion of the country house, the lost country house. There are plenty of very very brilliant and worthy books about the form and the academic response, but this was the first visual response, uh, which was hugely challenging in the sense that um, there are a couple of the houses where uh, there was only possibly one or two views of the house, which are very limiting in the amount of uh, information they can give you on how it looked. Um, and in one case, uh, a house uh, in um, Gloucestershire called Chipping Camden House, which was this huge, huge mansion built in the early 17th century. Uh, there's only one view of it uh, from... Uh, it's it's a, a drawing of a remembered painting that was, that was executed by a very, very old man. Right. Um, in the 18th century, but the painting itself would have been 17th century. Um, so there's this interesting handing down of information. But then I was able to go back into into um, uh, accounts of the house, but also looking at archaeological evidence. The house has entirely vanished. It was burnt down during the Civil War. All that remains are two banqueting houses and a stub of one wall of the main house. But then we had a name, we had an architect's name, who luckily was quite uh, he was quite a popular architect during the time, who was called John Thorpe. So I was able to look at the footprint of the house, which had been established uh, using ground-penetrating radar, and then looking at other similar houses of a similar date in the area, but also other houses by the same architect, and was able to roughly work out how big it was um, on, in ground plan, and therefore work out what elevation it had, uh, how many stories, what detailing it might have had, so it's really, it's really a, 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 a lot kind of, of problem a huge mm. amount of research, and which is covers kind of academic, but also, you know, it, it taps into an aesthetic gut feeling. So, in researching the houses, I just kind of try and absorb as much as I can about the period or an architect, and also the character of the of the patron, the person who lived there, the family that lived there, to really try and build up a full three hundred and sixty degree view image or an idea of a house. So what would actually direct you to choosing that one over others? Is it the, the history behind it, the story behind it? It's the stories. The it's, story it's, it's storytelling. That, you mm. know, that's, as, my, as, as an illustrator, that's what I like to add to is, is bringing together stories and, and, and augmenting things a bit more. Yeah, so, so the house I chose just chose to had an extraordinary story, you know, either in how they were built people that lived there the collections they housed often you know they were the products of vast wealth which had um i mean there's one house in um wiltshire which is no longer a very very now famous house uh, called Fontill abbey which was um the gosh how do you describe it i mean it was more than an ego trip it was more than a home it was kind of the the inner workings of one man, you know, writ large in stone and and you know uh, stone and render and it was a huge gothic building with a vast central tower uh, and in it uh, he housed his collection of um, you know masterworks so um, Michelangelo, Raphael, great works of uh, objets d'art so furniture, silver, porcelain I mean it was just crammed full of stuff and he lived there in, in pretty much complete solitude with a with a manservant um, and then eventually uh, his wealth diminished because of uh, political and social changes and uh, he auctioned the house off and then a few years after it was auctioned and the collection had been dispersed the house collapsed the building the central tower collapsed which i think was 190 feet high it was the same same height as big ben 
collapsed through the building and, and it was then just it just disappeared, vanished. Um, but an extraordinary story. Um, and all that's left now is one stub of the building in the middle of a, a big deep wood and it's just it's just storytelling it's it's mm. kind of legendizing it's now, it's now folklore uh, now a, a painting from you and something that i <laughs> yeah just just so that keeps it alive me. longer in a way yeah in a way yeah, doesn't yeah. it or just i mean the aim of it was just to say look look this happened isn't it weird isn't it bonkers mm. aren't we a weird kind of you know species <laughs> that we do this stuff sure you know so I know some um, a, a lot of the um, I know follies and things mm. like that that you've mm. you've painted too, haven't you? Yeah, well, it taps into the same mm. same place really. That that it's it's just the, the kind of you know the way that we reflect the, why, the world. The why? The why, the why do we do it? You know, it's <laughs> it's it's not necessarily necessarily the work's not necessarily celebratory. They're just kind of almost putting a ring around something and saying, "Look at this! Isn't this odd?" Isn't this, we, we did this, we do this. You know, we're not beasts of just kind of everyday existence sometimes. You know, obviously a lot of this stuff is about vast privilege and vast wealth, sometimes not so. Um, it's about the human condition. It's about eccentricity. It's about wanting to leave a mark. It's about wanting to elevate ourselves. It's wanting to suspend belief. It's about theatre. Uh, you know, it, it's... All those things that slightly sweeten our passage through, you know, existence in a way. That's quite a grand thing to say, but, you know, they are, mm. I think. Yeah. Yes, and um, I, I think what I particularly like is the way you, in probably not all of the, the paintings that I've seen of yours, but the lighting, the way you light, yes. but you also set the buildings perhaps in somewhere that perhaps not, yes. I don't know if I've got this right, but not in the... Um, setting that they would have been in, but yes. in a, a slightly different, maybe slightly yeah um, surreal. Like, I don't, surreal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that was a very conscious move because I think I'm very aware of, and that's this is another part of being an artist is knowing where you fit, both in a kind of chronology, but also con in a contemporary way. Um, and for me, it's a, it's about finding something to say, and when it comes to landscape and the kind of built landscape, particularly when you deal with, you know, Britain, England, there's, there's a wealth of names out there that you have to be aware of, you know. Um, and I think I was very concerned not to make it, the work, over-romanticised and too tied down by landscape or being too, you know, recognisable or realistic. There were other things that really that did interest me that were far more um, broader, I suppose, and in choosing not to show buildings in their landscape as they are now or were, uh, I wanted to create a sort of ambiguity, but also tapping into my sense of, I suppose, having, creating an environment which could be theatrical, which is theatrical, so a false sense of lighting, directional lighting, um, making the buildings look almost like they could be stage sets or maquettes or models even. So therefore, that takes away this sense that it's a real building in real space. It could be more about the architectural idea, really. And also how transient buildings can be, I mm. think. And you don't just paint, do you? You, um, yeah. you've, you've, uh, you do liner cuts and scraper boards? Liner cuts, scraper boards, all different processes, mm -hmm. uh, which independently you have to find your way through and how they can best reflect your ideas, but also 
as a combination of different disciplines, they feed into each other. So I usually find that if I spend some time focusing on lino cut, that when I come back to collage or drawing or scraper boards or painting, then it has changed my approach to those as well. So it's a constant refreshing of each process. And that's hugely important to me is um, actually making sure that I, I'm constantly evolving both my ideas, but also the processes and not getting stuck. Right, really so it helps the creative juices flow, yeah, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, yes, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The um I just wondered, do you have a I suppose the question that you ask sometimes is do you have a favourite piece? But people have had tell me, well, it's the one I'm working on now. <laughs> <laughs> the one I'm working on now. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't <clears> think <throat> it's necessarily favourite. I think it always changes. There's often one piece when I do a, a block of work. So I'll usually work on a series of pictures. Um, for with an exhibition same, with the same yeah they, they're hanging together they're, they're cohesive but there's usually one I feel that something new is happening or there's a resolution to it which I'm happy with um, which will lead on to the next body of work but in terms of um, maybe not my favourite to date but the piece that challenged me the most and that was an idea I'd had for many many years but just hadn't had the time or the opportunity to to make the work uh, it was a piece I produced about three years ago for an exhibition in London uh, called Monument at the John Martin Gallery. And it was a huge piece, a uh, metre and a half by metre. Uh, and it was an image of the Crystal Palace in Hyde Park, where I, you know, technically challenging because it was an odd building in the sense that it was vast. And to represent something so vast uh, is actually quite hard, you know, especially on a lar- even a large scale. And to create this sense of perspective and object in space, it took a lot of working out. But then technically also having to slice, you know, thin, tiny, almost kind of hair-like bits of paper to, to represent the the uh, iron framework of the of the building uh, and do so that. So it was a collage, image. was it? It was a paper collage, paper yeah, 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 collage, paperwork, wow. yeah. So that was that's that was very a huge challenging. Tube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long did it take you? That was about a month's worth of work, solid work. It was right. an enormous piece. Yes. Mm. But thankfully, it's gone to a home now. It's found a home. <laughs> a month doesn't sound like very long to me for something so intricate. Yes, yeah. I mean, most pieces take about two or three days to work on the big collages. And some things, some things take a matter of hours. Some things take a matter of days. It just some things seem to have their own kind of energy and flow. It really depends, you know. Yeah. Now you've also um, you also did um, was it with St Jude's you did fabrics and that's right yes yeah, so another arm to what paper, I do is, yes. is very is very is, is very much freer and it's about um, a more accessible maybe uh, more commonplace kind of application of design and it's yeah fabric and wallpaper. So how did you get involved in that then? I think it it, it came about really through. Uh, um, various friends introducing me to Simon Angie Lewin, who's Angie Lewin in her own right is a very fine printmaker and artist. And Simon Husband, they both run St Jude's, uh, and they were originally based in Norfolk. And they were, uh, they are very close friends to another good friend of mine, Mark Hurled, who's based in New York. He's a York artist, also works with collage. Um, and Mark just, you know, like all the good things in life, you know, you're introduced to things in an organic way. Mm. Not maybe not all good things in life, but uh, it seems to be more more, more rewarding. And um, and they sort of were interested. And at that time, I was doing a lot of screen printing, and it was very flat graphic, flat perspective, and flat use of color and form. 
and I think they just um, they felt there was some sort of you know resonance and uh, with with what they were trying to do with the fabrics, because ten years ago, twelve years ago, there there weren't many um, fabric companies that were uh, employing artists as artists, you know, and putting their name on the fabric. Um, slightly tapping into that modern British tradition. Um, the David Whitehead, Whitehead fabrics of the kind of forties and fifties. They were they you know they worked with Graham Sutherland and uh, and uh, gosh who else um, John Piper and produced fantastic artist designed textiles. They, that really wasn't that commonplace twelve years ago. But since then they've developed it and there's more companies that are working along those lines. Um, so it was just a kind of meeting of minds really and came about very naturally. Yeah. And the the merchandise, I know there was quite a lot mm. on display mm. at the sculpture park. Mm. So would that still be available there, or yes, they still it's they still available through sculpture park. It's um, still there to purchase. Absolutely, yes. There. If you go on the website, they will have a number of there's a mug, like two mugs, and headscarf and cushions and all sorts of things. and some bags and, <laughs> and some bags. Yes, yes. And presumably your books are still there too. Books yes. are still available, exactly through all, all good bookshops. All good bookshops. <laughs> And on online too, the the books on Amazon, yes. Yes, although please support your independent um, In- independent, independent retailers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No, that's good. Well, I'd just like to say thank you, Ed. It's Good been pleasure. it's taken me quite some time to track <laughs> to you down. down. Yes. Um, we were we were going to um, have an interview months ago yes. months ago and uh, you've just been so busy haven't you it's been very can busy. you tell me sorry just before we we mm. actually do sign off what uh, what are you doing now what plans have you got going forward the next big exhibition is a show that opens at the um scottish gallery in edinburgh on dundas street called uh placemakers where i'm collaborating with a very fine uh silversmith um vicky ambry smith and it'll be an exhibition of around about 30 new original works uh, and that opens on the 3rd of October. Uh, I'm appearing at the uh, Chatsworth Arts Festival, Art Out Loud, in September. I think it's the 22nd, Saturday the 22nd, in conversation with Kate Hubbard about uh, Bess of Hardwick and her buildings. And then I'm making my first US <laughs> but, uh, appearance at uh, a conference on the English Country House um, in uh, November in uh, New York city right wow <laughs> yes where i'll be talking about the giving a lecture on the uh, lost country lecture house yeah. yes yeah, on the book. no that's yeah. good no that sounds um very busy it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. so i'll uh, leave you to get on because i'm sure i've imposed enough upon your time not at all, not at all. It's been and a pleasure. Uh, just thank you very much thanks very much okay so this is susan signing out now from inside yorkshire bye